standing or stand. And we will um, reach our lesson for this morning. It's Ephesians, which is a letter um, from Paul. Hear these words of the Lord. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what, it does, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the same one who ascended far above the heavens, so that he might fill all things. The gifts which he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until all of us come into the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity... To the measure of the full stature of Christ, we must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about every, by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as, as each part is working properly, then promotes the body's growth in the building itself up in love. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So I love this text because one of the things it reminds me of, I am... I, um, have an older sister and a younger brother. So I'm the middle child, as I've said, and I can still hear my sister saying these words to me. Would you just grow up? Would you grow up, Elizabeth? I mean, whatever was going on, she always had those words of wisdom for me. Just grow up. And because I appreciated that so much, I can hear myself saying it to my younger brother. Warren, can you just grow up? We weren't allowed to say brat in my house, but um, anyway, I come on, Warren, grow up. That's what this text is about. Perhaps not in exactly the same way as siblings fuss at each other to just grow up, but this is about how it is we are called to mature in Christ. So let's pray. Gracious God, we do give you thanks for your patience. <laughs> As we seek to grow in you, we give you thanks for your equipping love and for every grace you've given to us that makes maturity of faith possible. Indeed, again, we give you thanks. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.
So I'm wondering, who in here has ever heard of a chain letter? Does anybody remember those chain letters? I mean, you know, you'd get a letter and you were told that if you mailed out 10 copies to 10 of your closest friends, if you copied the text, now this wasn't cut and paste, if you copy the text in the, in the, in the letter, you send it to your friends and then you would have good luck, right? <laughs> or you'd avoid bad luck, calamity upon calamity if you didn't send that letter out, right? Or how about the ones that said, if you send these, this letter to 10 people and include a dollar... In your letter, by the end of the month, you'll get at least $100 back. I think I did that six or seven times before I finally figured it out. There was no money coming back to me. And if you can't remember the the days of um, chain letters, perhaps you've seen on Facebook where it says, if you care about the Humane Society or fill in the blank, if you care about X, Y, or Z, you'll cut and paste and copy, copy this on your Facebook page, right? Have you seen those? Absolutely. I mean, we're t- and I care about these things, but I rarely cut and paste and put that on my Facebook. I, the ones that I really love are the ones that say, you know, I bet you won't copy and paste this, but... So we have all of these um, ways of communicating, if you will, right? The chain letter, the Facebook page. How about the Zoom meeting? When we look at this letter from Paul, I think it's more like a Zoom meeting. If you will, maybe just the one lecturer, maybe an occasion for people to correspond back. But, But anyway, this letter from Paul, and that's debated, by the way. Some think it's disciples of Paul. But anyway, this letter from Paul is what is understood to be as a circuit letter. It wasn't just written to the church in Ephesus. Paul had founded several churches around the Aegean Sea in what's now known as Turkey or Greece. And so there were five or six churches that Paul had founded, and he sent these letters out to be distributed among each congregation. Maybe it's like the office letter where you sign a happy birthday card and then initial that you signed it and pass it to the next person. That's kind of what's going on here with Paul. He sent these letters out to the churches that he had founded. And so the the letter to the Ephesians or to these churches is a little different from some of the other texts that Paul sent out, some of the other letters. We're going to be in Corinth, in Corinthians, and the church at Corinth was having all kinds of problems. And so when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he was addressing very specific issues. They were all messed up. And so he was addressing five issues, I think, at least in the first uh, letter to the Corinthian church and then more in the second letter. So Timothy, if you will, was a letter to a man named Timothy and it had very specific instructions for how it is we pass on faith, how it is we equip the next generation. So anyway, we have all these different letters in the New Testament and, and this one is the circuit letter. This one is, if you will, the how-to letter. How is it? That we live into this faith. How is it that we are to do church? How is it that we are to live in such a way that the message of Christ is not only shared verbally, but understood in body and in spirit? How is it that we enact being part of the global body of Christ as we now understand it? I guess they understood it that way then too. They just saw the world as much smaller. Anyway, so Paul has... um, sent out this letter, or one of his disciples, and he's inviting the churches that he has founded to understand how it is we are called to do church. 
Now, just a couple of the things that I think are significant in this text. The faith has gone out of Jerusalem at this point. Up until a couple decades after Jesus' um, death and resurrection, the, the faith had stayed pretty much in Jerusalem and, and it had not branched out. And Paul experienced his conversion and then away he went. Founding churches, again, all over Asia Minor. And so, so he's going out, outside Jerusalem, where people have never heard or at least have no appreciation for the one God, right? The people of Israel and the new believers that had come out of um, the Hebrew nation understood this monotheistic God, for one thing. They understood that God was one, and worshipped God as such. And then Paul took it out into the, into the wider world. And he had to contend with the fact that these people worshipped multiple gods. Gods that could often be manipulated by human behavior, by sacrifice, by offerings. People who made money in the marketplace by selling things to offer to these gods. And so, so out of out one setting into another, into a world that was wholly different. Ephesus, if you will, and again, all around the Aegean Sea were places of commerce. And so you have people coming in and out from all different places around the known world. A lot of different understandings for how we are to approach life. And so this is part of what Paul is writing to as well. A hugely diverse community of people. And so we are, again, at one of those pivotal moments in faith. We've talked about that for the last couple of weeks, how God went global with the wise men and when they arrived to the manger. And all of a sudden, God broke out of the Hebrew nation, if you will. The men came from afar, from the east. They were foreigners. They weren't locals. And yet God saw fit to use them to go global, to spread the message of Christ all around the known world. Pivotal moment. Jesus' baptism. Jesus stands on the banks, goes into the water with all the rest of the crowd, comes out of the water. Pivotal moment. God goes public. And shortly after his baptism, Jesus enters into his um, public ministry. Last week, Jesus knew that he was at a pivotal moment in his ministry. He knew that the three years of teaching and preaching and healing were behind him. He was facing the road to Jerusalem where he knew he would be arrested and tortured and crucified, where he knew, I believe, that he would rise again. He was at a pivotal moment. He was about to leave the disciples behind. And so he prayed to God that those who believed in him would be one. Father, make them one so that the world may know me. And Jesus aligned our corporate witness to Christianity with our ability to get along. To grow up in faith, if you will. To mature in faith is not necessarily to agree on every little thing, every little matter under the sun. It's not even to interpret scripture in exactly the same way. I think maturing in faith is the ability to share life with people with whom you disagree and to respect and to honor others with whom we disagree, to respect and honor others who are in the marketplace in, in Ephesus, who come from all different perspectives, who know many gods or no God. I, I mean, this is who we are called to be in order for a faithful witness of Christ to go out. 
And so this is a pivotal moment when, when, when the faith begins to meet people, when Paul takes the faith to people who are quite different. And you can imagine that it's quite a sales pitch. Love your enemies. I mean, really? Jesus? Blessed are the meek. I mean, really? Jesus? Turn the other cheek. Well, that's hyperbole, is it not? Jesus? How do you engage the world with such a message? Again, a world where might is right and wealth rules the day, and it's the survival of the fittest, whether they could call it that or not. And yet, this is the corporate witness to which we are still called. And not only did Jesus pray for unity back in the day as his ministry was changing, Paul claimed unity for the church as the way to move forward. But not only did Paul call for that unity, Paul told us how to do it. This is the how-to. This is how we grow up in faith. This is how we mature in Christ. And it's pretty specific. I, I love the language of Paul here because he's pretty strong in the words that he chooses. You know, he means what he says when he says to the people to whom he's writing, I beg you. That's pretty emphatic. I beg you, people of God, I beg you. Just so he knows he has their attention. I beg you to live the life to which you have been called I beg you to live the life worthy of the calling. And this is what it looks like, this life. Live this life with humility. Live this life with gentleness. And live this life with patience. Bearing with one another in love. Simple yet far from easy. Live life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And this is how you do it. With humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. This is what mature faith looks like. This is what growing in faith looks like. We've never arrived. Paul's pretty clear on that. We've never finally attained what the goal is, that unity in Christ being the goal. We, we're working on it. We understand that that is how our corporate witness is made. We get that. We have the goal in front of us, and we know now how to achieve it. With humility and gentleness with patience, forbearing with one another in love. Now this is good advice, not just for the corporate body called the church. I think this is pretty good advice for anybody who wants to live in any kind of relationship with anyone else. Friends, spouses, co-workers. There is this sense of if we want to get along, if we want to move forward, if we want to get the ball down the court, we share life with one another in patience, in humility, and in gentleness. 
And we have a lot of opportunities for practice. We have a lot of opportunities to figure it out, to live into it. Because one of the things that that patience affords us is the ability to mess up. And one of the things that that patience affords us is the ability to be in relationship with somebody else who also messes up. And one of those things that humility and gentleness and patience affords us is the ability to get along with people with whom we disagree. Again, in more intimate relationships or in broad relationships in this corporate body of the church. But Paul says this is how the church is to do it. One step in front of the other in humility and gentleness and in patience bearing with one another in love. When I um, worked at Duke Chapel about a thousand years ago, when I was in seminary, I, um, one of my jobs there was to um, host any of the speakers or the preachers that would come in for the weekend, and um, probably, probably about once a month, we'd have somebody come in from somewhere else to speak, and I'm not sure if you've ever heard of a man named Tony Campolo. Yeah, it used to be huge, huge in the, in the um, speaking circuit for, for believers and one of the most demanded folks on college campuses. He was a sociologist, an American Baptist professor, uh, American Baptist minister, and uh, just prolific writer and preacher and all of that. Well, one weekend he was coming to Duke to preach, and if I remember correctly, his, his wife came with him, I know that, and we had dinner together. So that was just a great time to, to, to visit and to kind of learn from somebody who was really great at his craft. And so we were out to dinner, and, and I don't know how it came up, but he said, you know, you can expect some protesters tomorrow. I said, well, it's a college campus. They love to protest things. I can live with that, whatever. And I said, well, what are they protesting? I mean, you know, what, what, he's not that controversial. He said, oh, yeah, I am. And it's because my wife and I disagree. He and his wife, both American Baptists, had disagreements on same-gender marriage. He believed one way, she believed the other, and they would go to communities of faith and help people work it out who disagreed on this particular topic. And others, they would engage conversation. They, they would help people take those steps for bearing with one another in love, having humility, exercising patience, all of that, being gentle, because how else are we going to get along? And so he said, you can expect some protesters. And he, I mean, there were students on every side of the issue, both sides of the issue, if you will. They, we didn't have the internet then, but they had done their research. And there were posters for this and there were posters for that. My favorite poster was the one who called on Campolo to make his wife obey him. <laughs> At Duke. I, this is the 90s, but still. But they had learned to work it out when they disagreed. They had learned to offer humility, to offer gentleness and kindness and patience with one another when there was a disagreement on any number of subjects. That's the only way you stay in relationship. It's the only way you make it through. And not only that, that is what God calls us to. The byproduct is getting along. The goal is to maintain unity, and this is how God says we are to do it. If you go to Jerusalem, there's a church there called the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, and, and it's where tradition has it that Jesus was crucified. And so in this church, there are about five different Christian groups who have literally walled 
off space in the church. The Orthodox said, this is a spot over here. And the Catholic said, this is a spot over here. And the Arminian said, this is a spot right here. They've walled the church off. In this place where visitors from all over the world gather, and this is what they see? Christians walling off space in a church? If I remember correctly, and again, I'm pretty sure this is right. There is a Muslim gentleman who holds the key to the church because none of the Christian groups can agree who should have the key. (laughs) Y'all. There is a ladder up on the second floor outside the church on a little balcony that nobody will take down because they can't remember who put it up there. Believers. Living with walls and separation that they honor and cling to. I don't get it. And we're no better. Actually, the Anglicans came into Jerusalem maybe in the 1800s and said, it's not there at all. We're going to put the Anglican space over here outside the city. I mean, you know, it's just human nature. And Paul knew it. But he didn't accept it. Paul said, you've got to be much better than this, people of God. Claim your relationship. Live into your relationship. Mature in the faith so that you know how to get along when you don't agree. Patience, gentleness, and humility. That's how you do it. A friend of mine has real problems with her preacher. Now, you probably don't have that here, right? You don't know anything about that, I'm sure. Real problems with the preacher. And she, every other time I speak with her, she is complaining about her preacher. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do this. People are going to leave. What are we going to do? And I said, finally, why don't you go talk to him about it? Oh, no. I couldn't do that. I said, why not? She said, well, I'm 80 years old. He might do my funeral if he doesn't like me. (laughs) He might say something bad. I'm like, come on. Most preachers, most preachers are not that shallow. We don't learn how to be nice in seminary, but we love God and neighbor on our best days. We learn, all of us, to be patient in relationship, to build bridges and not walls, to reach out to one another. You know, there's one book that I love. um, My husband gave it to me for Christmas. It says, build a bigger table. When we gather around the altar, as we also call a table sometimes in Christian tradition, as the world expands and the family expands, you build a bigger table and invite yet another person to be part of the family supper, the gathering. And there's no way to do this, no way to do it, unless we live the life worthy of the calling to which we have all been called to live with one another in all humility, with all gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. That's how we do it. May God help us. Amen. Let us pray.
Lord, we give you thanks for having patience with us. Because of your great love, you, Lord, offer us the opportunities to work it out, to live together in peace, in the bond of peace, with humility, with patience, with gentleness, to live together in the way that you would have us live, to be those people who grow up in Christ, to be those people who want to mature in faith, not necessarily agreeing, but willing to live together in unity. God, help us this day and every day that follows. For it's in the name of Christ that we not only pray, it's in the name of Christ that we try to live. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. As always, you can find out the latest happenings in Harrison on Facebook or on our website at harrisonchurch.org.